Good morning. I woke up this morning, looked out my window, said, what a beautiful day. Let's talk about hell in church. <laughs> Brought my red folder. Thought that was appropriate. Uh, we have a lot of our guys at man camp. I came from the land of man camp where men are camping in cabins. It was a wonderful time. Um, I experienced my own version of hell when I forgot to bring all of my bedding and linens. Um, and uh, so sleeping in the cold and uh, showering and drying off with paper towels in the bathroom was fantastic. But that is not quite hell. Um, this morning, uh, we're going to dive in. We're going to dig deep. And, and my hope is that we step into something that is big for us. I, I hope that we step into the truth of what God's word reveals to us regarding what happens to us after we die. This is a question that has sat with humankind since our existence. What happens beyond? And so this morning, I want us to look at this. We're in the middle of, or even toward the end of uh, a series called Supernatural. Today we talk about hell. Next week we're going to talk about heaven. We'll be all together, one big service. I I don't know if you saw this, but uh, it was interesting to me. I was just thinking about it. Lauren uh, said, right now we have a baptism class. It's taking place in the prayer room. There's a guy sitting right here, and uh, he just did the bravest thing. And I'm not calling him out because it's weird, but because he's courageous. Front row just stood up and then walked across. Do you guys see that? That was brave and courageous. He said, that, ah, that's what I want to do. I want to be baptized, I, I'm guessing, and that's why he's over there right now. By the time we're done here today, I'm going to call on you to be brave and to be courageous. Um, and, and our eternity hangs in the balance. And so I, I, I pray that this morning that there is a weightiness and a heaviness about what we're talking about that, that stirs your soul. And my goal today is not that we have complete agreement. I, I pray that you are stirred. And if you're angry, that that sends you to research. If you are offended, I pray that that sends you to your knees and you look at the word of God. And what I'm sharing with you this morning is the result of me sitting with some of these passages for quite a while. Um, and you know what? I, I have my own opinions and you can find people who are best-selling authors who make lots of money and they will have great different opinions. Um, but what we want to do is we want to consider what happens to us when we talk about heaven and hell and specifically hell is, is hell just some big divine overreaction to sin or is God really up to something? And we want to look at this. I looked up some popular idioms on hell. And I can only get away with this today, so I'm going for it. You ready? These are some of the ways that we use the word hell in our culture today. And it ties into a little bit of our thought process when we talk about hell. You could say, I've been, I'm, I'm in a hell of a mess. My life is a living hell. Or I was, with, I was babysitting a bunch of kids and all hell broke loose. Um, I'm hell bent on something. Or that idea was shot to hell. I've been to hell and back. Come hell or high water. Or go give them hell. Uh, last service, somebody came up and said that was one hell of a message. Um, <laughs> and I said, if it wasn't, then you say that message was hell. Um, my dad always says, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. Or you don't have a snowball's chance in hell. Be careful with this next one. Hell has no fury like a woman scorned. (laughs) Not with my wife, though. You're fantastic all the time. It'll be a cold day in hell, or like a bat out of hell, or I've been put through hell. The road to hell is paved with contentions. Uh, You can scare the hell out of someone. There'll be hell to pay, or that's not going to happen till hell freezes over, or that is hell on earth. Now, um, back in the day, you, you could actually uh, tell somebody to go to hell and they would actually have a picture of what that looked like. Um, when we're talking about this, we have these pictures of, of hell. 
Um, these are the illustrations. You see the fire, you see the abyss and the smoke and the calling forth. Um, a lot of our conceptions about what hell is like come from Dante's Inferno and you have the nine circles of, of hell and these are the different phases you have to go through. This is, this is our picture, but there are places here on earth that people throughout history have felt like these were the gateways to hell, the entrances to hell from earth. And so you, you can go to a place like China, a, a hell gate can be found in the heart of China, a city of ghosts with close ties to Naraka, the underworld of the Chinese mythology. You could go to Belize and there's a cave network located there. Um, the Mayans believed it was an entrance to the underworld. Even here in the United States, it's not Barstow, it's New Orleans. And they believe, according to voodoo mythology, that the, the dead, the newly dead, are sent to a kind of purgatory. This one looks like the most. Uh, this is our picture, right? This is it's something like this in Japan. Uh, this gateway takes primordial form of a bubbling pool of hellish red slime. But don't worry, they now have a health spa and a gift shop. It's fantastic. <laughs> And then Jesus went to one of these gateways to hell. We call it Caesarea Philippi, Matthew 16. He asked the question, who do you say that I am? This is the gateway to uh, Hades. This is uh, where the, the god Pan was believed to go to the underworld back and forth through this, this spring that came up out of the earth. And so I want us to think about this, but those are like the, the entrances to hell. But you have seen, or maybe you felt like in times that you have experienced hell. You've had seasons of your life where you just didn't know if you could handle anything else. Or we look at the poverty and we look at the death and we look at the persecution that's happening and we say that looks like a living hell on earth. We, we, we hear stats like 18,000 kids die of starvation every single day. That feels like hell, but it is not. There is suffering. There is pain. And there are moments where we don't know if we can continue to move on. That's not hell. Um, I was in 2006 in Thailand and we went up to the border with Burma, Myanmar, and we were at a refugee camp that is one, it's the second largest refugee camp and we stayed in a hotel right there on the border. It was the worst hotel experience I have ever had. Um, we went into a room and there was a ceiling fan with just one blade, which is not the worst part, but you have a toilet. There's no like separation of bathtubs or anything. There was a toilet and there was like a, a pipe coming out of the wall just almost above. You could actually go to the bathroom and get a shower at the same time. Cockroaches all over the floor, waking up at five in the morning to a Muslim call to worship and uh, hearing the, the, the worship team I was traveling with just getting in the hallways at five in the morning, pulling out the guitar saying there's such an oppression here and we just worshiped in the hallways of what felt like hell on earth for us i want us to look at this and i want us to talk about what are some of these different options now in in your bulletin there's an outline it's like eight point font so i could fit it all in there so grab a magnifying glass later and you can check it all out but it's there we're going to walk through some of this what are some of these options after we die what happens what is the general belief out there what are some of these and this is these are the main ones you can have a naturalist point of view where we don't have a soul that we are just body and there is no existence after death. We just die and our body becomes one with the earth again and we're basically fertilizer. Or the universalist idea that in the end, everyone goes to heaven. No matter what you've done here on earth, all paths lead to salvation. 
Then we have reincarnation. If you at first don't succeed, then try, try, try again. You can keep coming back, keep coming back until you get it right, and then you can ascend to a greater and better place. Now those are some beliefs that are outside of the Christian faith. Now the ones on the right-hand side of the screen are ones that I believe that we have brothers and sisters who will be with us in heaven, but we have a differing opinion, point of view on what happens after we die regarding hell and eternity for those who don't believe. One of those is the annihilationist view. That unbelievers could suffer for a bit in hell and then cease to exist, or we just die and we just cease to exist. Um, In the year 553, it was the second council in Constantinople, in Istanbul today, where they condemned this. They said it wasn't biblical. It was reasserted then another thousand years later in the 16th century. They said there's nothing biblical about this. And and the idea that that we would cease to exist... in some ways, feels like it's an act of mercy, but it is not. And, and the, the concept behind it is, how can a loving God take somebody who has been sinning for maybe only decades of their life and then spend an eternity in hell? That feels unjust. It feels like the punishment does not fit the crime. And we look at that and we could say, well, somebody could murder a child and that could take all of 10 seconds. And they could spend a lifetime here on earth in prison. So I don't hold to, and I don't think that this is a biblical view, the annihilationist view. There's a Catholic view that is purgatorial, that people can die, they can suffer for a while, they finish the work of salvation, and then they can enter heaven. So, so separation from God is a type of sanctification in purgatory. You work out your stuff, you refine, so sanctification takes place, and then glorification. What we hold to here, what I hold to at Calvary is more of an orthodox biblical view that says that punishment for the wicked, punishment for those who don't believe in Jesus is everlasting and that it is punitive, not redemptive. People say, and there have been surveys done, that our country, for the most part, it's overwhelmingly in the 70s to 80%, depending on what statistics you look at, that we overwhelmingly as an American nation believe in heaven. About 12 to 15% less believe in hell. Um, and I thought that everybody just believed in heaven and hell with a very small minority. We took a camera and we went to the orange circle and we asked people the question, What happens after you die? And I was floored and shocked at some of the responses, and I want to show them to you right here. Hey, we're here at the Orange Circle, and we're going to talk to people about what they think happens to them after they die. Let's go talk to some people. Where do you think you go? What happens to you after you die? I think everyone goes to heaven. I would like to think that I'm going to go to heaven after I die. I think that your soul goes to heaven. You stay in the ground, you disintegrate, and your particles in your body go towards something else in nature. After you die, you move on to the astral plane. I mean, I think that there's an afterlife of some sort, but I don't know what the definition of it is. I think that nothing happens after you die. I think that we're nothing before we're born, and then... We're nothing after we die. Well, I, hopefully I go to heaven. I'm hoping I go to heaven. That's 
what I think will happen after I die. The scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so uh, heaven is my home. I imagine that we go back home. Our, you know, our energy body or our soul, if you will, um, reconnects with our true home. And I believe that we're just here on earth experiencing this manifestation in this dimension. I think you go to heaven or hell, depending on what you did or and who you believed in. Well, you live for eternity. Where? One of only two places. And what are your options? In the light or in the dark. <laughs> what do you... God, with God or with yourself for eternity. Do you believe in heaven or hell? No. Not really. No. No. No, I think that uh, hell is sort of um, distance from God. So if you've um, not grown spiritually on this plane, then you are farther away from God. And if you are have developed spiritually, then you are closer to God when you die. If you need to uh, correct a lot of stuff, you come back here. You get reincarnated. Well, I believe that you create your own hell. So if you're going to live in a miserable life and do terrible things, you're going to serve those consequences in the life that you have right here and right now. Um, I believe hell is not following God, honestly, because I've, I've been there. It feels like you're just always anxious. You're always fearful. You're always um, depressed. And uh, there's no goal. There's no purpose. That's hell to me. I, I don't know what happens after we die. Do you believe in hell? I do. Yes, I'd like to think not a whole lot of people end up there, but I do believe it exists. Oh, gosh, I think that people who deny Christ go to hell, I guess, which is really sad to think about, but anyone who denies him, that is where their fate lies. It's probably just a place filled with all the things that you never wish to happen to you, just kind of... Um, all the negative things that you never hope to occur. Just those feelings. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Yeah. Uh, who do you think is in charge of hell? Ooh. Satan, I guess. Whether it's burning flames or not, a cold can burn just as much. And I think it has to do with uh, not only is separate, but I think at the time of judgment, everybody's going to see heaven. And then those who have chosen not to be there won't be. And they will spend eternity pondering what they could have had and receiving what they should get based on their actions here on earth during this life. I've never died and come back, so I can't say for sure. I just know what it feels like to be with God and to be without. So we have some different points of view, right? There's a lot going on. Um, Maybe we think, as long as I don't believe in the astro plane, <laughs> I'm good. No problem. That guy was Jewish, believe it or not. We had quite a conversation. I looked at Ryan and I said, keep the camera going. I want to talk about, there's some, I'm going to use it again for something. I can't wait. But there, there are some biblical terms. Now, hell is absence from the presence of God. We're going to dig into some passages, but I want you to hear some of these passages that describe where the dead are. A very popular Old Testament term would be the word sheol. It means the grave or death. It doesn't refer to hell specifically, but it's more of a holding tank for the Old Testament saints. Or, or um, 
uh, Hades, which usually refers to hell, a place of torment, or Gehenna, uh, always refers to hell, a place of torment. I want you to just see a couple of things. Number one, um, there's this ancient Hebrew conception of the universe. What were the, the ancient Hebrews, Old Testament times, what was their picture? And you look at some of the descriptions of what the earth was like, and they say that God has spread out the expanse of the skies and sits on the foundations of the earth. This is a little bit of what that picture looks like. And and you look throughout history, and there's this belief, Not this is not Jewish thought, but uh, ancient thought that the God, the sun God, Shamash, would, would rise from the underworld and, and would give light during the day and then go back to the underworld and and then you'd have to wait and there was this idea that the gates would open up and rain would come through and heaven is just somewhere up here above the firmament this was the concept and then jesus comes and he gives some better clarity and some better meaning and he uses this word gehenna gehenna was a reference he said when you want to know what hell is like think about gehenna the valley of Hinnom. it's an actual valley it's just the south west side of Jerusalem, and it was the place in Old Testament times where there would be pagan worship. It would be the place where they would sacrifice children to false gods. Later on, it was, it was, it was just known as this place of just despicable, horrible, awful things, and it became the place for refuse and for trash and for the bodies of criminals, and they would light it on fire, and it says in Isaiah 66, later quoted in uh, Luke 9, it says that there would be uh, where the worms would never die and the fire would never be extinguished. And everybody who heard Jesus' words when he said, hell is like Gehenna, they said, that forsaken place. I want you to just hear, because I can't go through and give you a, a thousand cross-references, but there are a lot of passages that talk about hell. Just Here's a few, ready? Daniel 12, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. You're thinking, oh, destroy, annihilation. I'll get to that in a second. Um, Or the Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, all those who committed lawlessness and throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That comes up over and over again. Matthew 25, then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, you accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I want you to understand that in the beginning, that hell was created for those who initially revolted and turned against God, the devil and his angels. They have no chance, no second chance. There's no redemption in this place. And when we turned our backs and we rejected Jesus... That is the place set aside for those who don't want to follow. We have trouble speaking the words hell. If we are in a conversation, I've been there before, and somebody says, so if I'm not going to heaven, you think that if if Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, then I'm going to hell? And you say, yeah, or you get another conversation, where do you think I'm going? And it's almost like saying sex. It's just, we have trouble. It's, you are going to hell. Because you look like the most judgmental, Bible-beating, flame-throwing person alive. And how can God possibly do that? There's so many other passages. But I want you to just hear, what is God's heart? And what was Jesus talking about when he came here to earth? I want you to go to Luke chapter 16. 
And this is the passage that we're going to sit with for the next few minutes. Um, And I want you to hear this, that Jesus wants you to know about hell. Out of every person in the Bible, nobody talked about hell more than Jesus. We sometimes look at God as some kind of holy pushover, that the attributes of God are that God is loving, God is kind, God is merciful, He shows His grace, He shows His mercy to us, and then we have trouble to receive and to accept that God holds all of His attributes in perfect balance in ways that we do not understand because God is also full of judgment and full of wrath more than 600 times in the Bible. God is described as a God who is going to pour out His wrath. And so we conveniently choose the things about God that we love and we conveniently skip over the ones that we don't. When it says in Matthew 10, it says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the body and the soul, the soul and the body in hell. This word destroy, this is... If, you, if The passage we're about to go into is, is Luke 16. The, the passage before Luke 15, it talks about the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. When it says the word lost, that word for lost is the exact same word as we say destroyed in the very next chapter. It's just translated different. I don't believe that God destroys our souls, but I believe that the soul is lost forever. So we go into this passage, and Jesus tells a story Some people would say this is a parable, but he's naming names. Sometimes in the parable it'll say, then Jesus told this parable. Sometimes in the parable it says, a certain man or in a faraway place. But here in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, this is what Jesus is talking about. He says, now there was a rich man and he had habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. Purple meaning it was a color of of royalty or the wealthy. Uh, There was a certain way that they had to get the dye and only the wealthy could afford it. And he was joyously living in splendor every day. And there was a poor man named Lazarus, meaning God is my comforter. And he was laid at his gate, covered with sores, longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. And besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Disgusting. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and he was buried. And in Hades... He lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and he saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus was in his bosom. I want you to hear this, that our standing here does not guarantee our standing there. There is a huge gap between the lifestyles of these two men. You have a rich man, and you have a poor man. The poor man is sitting at the gate, just hoping that when they bring the trash cans out to the curb for the trash pickup that day, he's going to be rifling through, hoping to get the leftover crumbs, if the dogs don't beat it to him first. And there's this gap. And the thought was during that time that if you were blessed here on earth, that guaranteed your blessing in the world to come, in the afterlife. And so the man sitting at the gate had no chance. But we get a picture of two men's lives, deaths, and their eternity and how they're spent. And so there is no guarantee. If you are comfortable and happy and wealthy, this is not necessarily God's blessing for you just here and then there. There's something else that's required. So we also see in this that eternity includes a place of blessing and a place of agony. 
verse 24. And he cried out. This is the rich man. He cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. I believe that Jesus is saying there are two different things going on here. That eternity is spent and the rich man had it all and then lost it all. I also think it's interesting that the rich man is alone and Lazarus is in community with and in the bosom of Abraham, which is a way of saying that he is safe and secure. He's in paradise. He is in heaven. And then we go on in verse 26 and he says, and besides all this between us and you, there is a great chasm that is fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from here, from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. Go back, send Lazarus back to my home on earth. Verse 28, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they do not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Just send them and then they can be saved I'm already suffering. Can I get the rest of my family to know so that they don't have to be suffering and torment? I want you to understand today that the purpose for me is not to spell out absolutely everything because there is part of the supernatural world that, frankly, I just don't know about. But I believe that this is a place that we do not want to go. I'm not signing up for eternal torment and agony and pain in the flame. And so there's a decision that needs to be made on this side of eternity. Hebrews 9 says, For it is appointed for man to live once and then comes judgment. It's not like you die and then you get this choice once you see God and how everything's set up. If that were our choice, that we could just die, go to God and say, I get it now, I trust in you, then there is no need for us to have any faith. Our faith is useless. And so we have to believe and we have to make a decision now. And we have that opportunity to do that as long as we are here and alive. And we need to make this decision. It says, but he said to him, if they do not listen to the Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now listen. I've done funerals. I've done joyful funerals for people who put their faith and their trust and they walked faithfully with God their entire life. And those are great services to do. And I've done painful, heart-wrenching, horrible services for people who have taken their own life and had no hope and no profession of faith. And people will come up to me and say, do you think that they made it into heaven? It's the worst question to have to answer in a funeral setting. The... <laughs> The thing that I want you to know, I, I know that our context, your life, you know somebody, whether they're in your family or a close friend, you know somebody 
who has died and you believe, you know that they did not go to heaven, that their eternity was set in hell. Now, I always want to hold out hope that somehow that God met them in the last moments of their life and they made a profession. Only God knows. For the most part, there is a heaven and there is a hell. The scary part for me, I mean, if we're going to be honest, I might be part of some of your funerals. The scary part is some of you sitting in here are going to hell. I want us to check in today and make sure that we are not fooled and lulled into this belief that I go to church, I give an hour a week, I'm a pretty good person, and I'm in. I want to get to that in a couple minutes. But the other thing that we have to take into account is that God presides over all of this. When we put ourselves in the position of looking at God and we become the judge, we're in trouble. We can't be the ones that look at God and say, you know what? I like the good stuff that you are, but I don't like how you are taking an angle this way. How arrogant of us to be able to do that. C.S. Lewis has some stuff to say. If you haven't read the book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, I recommend it highly. But he says, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful. Rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. Francis Chan, a few years ago, in response to a book by Rob Bell that, that is called Love Wins, where basically everybody gets in, in the end, that God will allow all to go into eternity. Francis Chan wrote a response, and I pulled a couple of amazing quotes. He said, Jesus didn't speak of hell so that we could study, debate, and write books about it. He gave us these passages so that we would live holy lives. He says, hell is the backdrop that reveals the profound and unbelievable grace of the cross. It brings to light the enormity of our sin and therefore portrays the undeserved favor of God in full color. When you put the holiness of God and you put that against how we live our lives of sin, people ask the question, why doesn't everyone get into heaven? And that's just not a biblical question. It's why doesn't everybody go to hell? The reason is that Jesus has provided the way to be saved from hell. John 3, it says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Believe in Jesus, you have eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Do you understand what's going on? Jesus took on the suffering and the pain of the rich man when he went to hell so that you and I could experience the life of Lazarus, the poor man, when he was in Abraham's bosom. Jesus experienced that when it says that he drank the cup, it was the cup of God's wrath, the cup of God's anger. He took that. And for those of us who believe in Jesus, we don't have to take on his wrath. We get his grace. We get his blessing. His righteousness is given to us. 
But if you do not put yourself under the blood of Jesus Christ, then you still have the wrath of God, and that is eternal separation from God in hell forever. It is punitive. It is not redemptive. There is only one way to heaven, but there are many ways to Jesus. Right now, this could be your moment that you want to give your life over to Jesus. It could be through the preaching. It could be through the reading of the word. We've had people stand right here on this stage from the Middle East saying that God is speaking to people today. Jesus is showing up in dreams and visions and he is bringing people to himself. Many ways to Jesus, only one way to heaven. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We can't change that. Acts 4, it's a powerful passage. It says, There is salvation. We talk about, are you saved? Are you saved? I'm saved. I have salvation. It's saved from what? If there is no hell, then what are we saved from? There is salvation. That's why Jesus came, so that you and I can be saved. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You have to believe in Jesus. If you don't, then that's a decision to reject him. And why would you want to spend an eternity in heaven worshiping that Jesus? In the end, we have two choices. All, all religions, they, they boil down to truth or falsehood. That's it. We're called to enter through the narrow gate. Matthew 7, it says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. Many. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Will you please listen to me? If there are two roads, I want you to understand that both roads are marked with a sign. And on both roads, the sign says, this way to heaven. And there are people who are walking down the path of destruction, thinking that they are on their way to eternal bliss and paradise. And they are going to open the door and get on the other side and realize that they have made a mistake and they will be for eternity separated from God and paying for their sin here on earth. Not a very popular happy story today. But I believe that this is the truth. I believe that we have to stand up for something. There's a book in our bookstore. It's called One Minute After You Die. I think it's Erwin Lutzer. And, and he says the most amazing thing that when people die and then we give eulogies like a few days later, the eulogies have nothing to do with the, what that person is experiencing in hell and separation from God. It's unbelievable to me to sit there and we're sitting in services sometimes for funerals for people who have died and totally rejected Jesus. And we're talking about all of the wonderful, beautiful things that they did here on earth and they are suffering in hell. There's a study that came out this week, Pew Research Foundation, and what they said was that Christianity is on the decline. That over the, I think the last time they did this was seven years ago, that in America there was 78% of our nation was identified as a Christian nation. And as of the, the research study that came out just this week, we moved from 78% to 
in Christianity, and there has been an increase in the number of atheists and agnostics in our country. And while this is bad news, I, I read a, a blog, an article by a guy named Matt Walsh, and I, I think he is brave and bold, and sometimes he sticks his foot in his mouth, but I happen to like what he said this week. I want you to hear some of this, because this impacts all of us in here. The latest study trumpeting how the Christian ranks have shrunk by another eight percentage points in just the last seven years. Now, 70% of Americans identify as Christians, still a majority, but the smallest majority that we have ever had. As atheism and agnosticism surge in popularity, Christianity hemorrhages and fades. After all, some 70% of us might identify as Christians, but how many actually subscribe not to Christianity, but a convenient Christianity? See, I don't believe that we're doing good with the 70%. I think if you take the people who are truly following Jesus and not going after this Christianity that feels like it's just making me happy, the second that Jesus becomes inconvenient for us, we bail ship. I believe that that 70% is far, far smaller. And so he talks about what does this convenient Christianity look like? And he says... The strategy for the American church for decades is just try not to scare people. Just don't tick anybody off. I'd rather make you angry this morning than bore you to death. If today and the reality of hell scares you into believing in Jesus, okay. I'm all right with that. He says, Christianity is fading because more and more of our leaders want to steal people from the true faith and deliver them to this convenient version. But that isn't what actual Christians want. And the Christians who do, they only want it because it doesn't resemble Christianity at all. Those folks eventually figure out that the only thing that is more secular than Christian secularism is secular secularism. secularism. And there's no reason to choose the former over the latter. The transition from convenient Christianity to agnosticism continues unabated. That's why it's so easy for us to lose numbers in this poll that if, if Christianity for you is just convenient, then that step towards agnosticism or atheism to just rejecting God is easy. We're told that Christianity is declining because Christians are too religious, too bold, too outspoken, too moral, too firm in their beliefs. The conventional wisdom, we've seen a thousand times over, the conventional wisdom of an unwise society should never be taken, taken seriously. We are taking our cues from the world. They're saying, you are too much this, you are too much that. And we're all, oh, okay, we got to be nice now. We're not going to offend anybody. We're not going to say what you really need to hear. And then he quotes C.S. Lewis, and I, I, this is where I want to wrap it. In fact, worship team, come on up. Um, Enemy-occupied territory. Enemy-occupied territory. That is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say, landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. We, my friends, are at war with the devil himself. The psalmist says, Lord, you are my rock and you have trained my hands for war. My plea with you today is to not be lulled into thinking because you showed up here because you have three Bibles at your house and you brought your kids and you pray before your meals that you are going to heaven. 
The call is to live a life of faith. When it says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, By grace you've been saved through faith. This Hebrew concept of faith, is the word is emunah. It's not just faith, this act that took place a long time ago when you were five and prayed with your mom on your bed. It's faithfulness. We need to live lives of faithfulness. It's not just that act that took place a long time ago. So my call is for you this morning to be brave like the dude who stood up at the beginning of the service and said, Baptism, I want to do that. Maybe you've been coming here your entire life. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for 25 years, 50 years, and maybe you've just been very conveniently showing up here. My plea with you this morning is to consider the wrath of God that we will experience, total separation from God, aloneness, no community. It's not like, hey, misery loves company, we're in it together. It is hell. Not hell on earth, it is hell. And God is imploring us, I have given you an opportunity for salvation. Don't pass that up. It's through the cross. It's through following Jesus That is the only way. If you want to receive Jesus today, then I want to invite you to do that, to put your trust and your faith and not just do it today, but then wake up and do it again tomorrow and be faithful and stand against the devil and his schemes for pulling us away and lulling us to sleep because we are lazy in our American culture. The American church is being rocked to sleep and we have no idea that it's happening. And I do not want us as a body, as a church, to get surprised one minute after we're dead and realize that we weren't really living for Jesus. So I'm going to pray. And we have some space over here. Prayer points. I'm going to walk straight over here. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, if you're not sure where you're at, then I want to pray. There's other people that pray with, pray with somebody. Just grab somebody and pray. Um, we also have communion to remember what Jesus has done to receive his body and his blood and give offering at the stations. But maybe we celebrate next week. Put your faith in Jesus Christ today and we baptize you next week. We come all together. Next week we'll be happier. We're talking about heaven and we'll have little kids in the service. Bring the family along. It'll be a great service. <laughs> but this is serious. Will you pray with me? God in heaven, I pray for my friends in this room. I pray for people who who believe that they're going to heaven and you look at their heart and you know. And God, I have a sense that we know that we are far from you. So God, thank you for your forgiveness. We want to be covered by your blood. But Lord, for those in here who do not know what's going on with their eternity, what happens after they die, Lord, would you open up our eyes? Would you give us an understanding? Would you help us to see what you want us to see? God, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for loving us and pouring yourself out for us, God. Help us to not ditch this idea of, of, of your grace and how you've poured out. Help us to not be arrogant in what truths about you we're going to embrace and which ones we want to reject. Help us to stand firm. Help us to be people of courage and to put our trust and our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.